Well, the impetus for what I'm about to share occurred uh, some months ago in a couple of, of really separate events. Uh, the first one was actually the survey that we asked you all to take. And among the comments that came back were several regarding the mission of the church. And they ranged from about as far as you could imagine from I don't know what the mission is to the mission seems to change all the time. So there were clearly some issues given that kind of a, uh, a gap between, uh, between people. So that's one thing, you know, that, that, that there was maybe not enough clarity or communication there. And the second was actually a conversation that I had with John one day. And it occurred around that same time. And, you know, we may have been talking about this is issue of mission. Um, I, I just honestly don't remember, um, but it doesn't really matter. What I do remember, though, with great clarity was the question that he asked me. And he said, can you describe the type of church that you want this to be? Can you describe the type of church that you want to pastor? And he was, he at the same time was sort of emphasizing the need to, you know, continuously communicate what that is. And um, so I really took that to heart and I started thinking an awful lot about that. And um, as I was pondering and praying and kind of working my way through all that, a couple of things, random thoughts just sort of occurred to me. And the first one was in regards to mission statements. And what I kind of realized was is that I just couldn't convey what I thought the mission of the church was in one short pithy statement. I mean, it just couldn't. Now, I was able to do that, I think, for our vision statement, because our vision is this. It's pretty simple. To restore the hearts of all people to Jesus and bring them healing. I mean, that's pretty basic. But that's the vision of the church. That's the long range. That's the thing that you're always going after. Right? That's what vision is supposed to be. It's short, memorable, it's biblical, and it's something we're always going to be working towards. But I could not find a way to sort of boil down what I sort of had inside of me in, in, in one like brief little statement like that. And that's probably why it's always been viewed as maybe being in something of a state of flux. Because it, it never was really, a, it is one thing, but there are many manifestations of that one thing. And we'll talk about that a little bit here in a minute. But the other random thought that I had was of my uh, former employer. For a number of years, I worked for the Markell Corporation. Now, that's actually who I w began with when I came to Richmond. And uh, one of Markell's unique competitive advantages is this thing that they have called the Markell style. And uh, it is sort of their core beliefs about how they do business. And so... Uh, it, it, it is reflected in all of their business dealings. And what it does is it sort of creates this corporate culture in which there is integrity, transparency, honesty. Uh, they even specifically mention a sense of humor, a disdain for bureaucracy, teamwork, sharing, and, and a passion for what they're doing. And all of those things are what you would call the non-negotiables, right, of that organization. And... So this idea there of living the style is both expected and it's also a high compliment if someone t would, were to tell you that. And so this thing, uh, I mean, and I can remember being very impressed with this the very first time I read it, which was, I think, on the inside of an annual statement that had been given to me when I uh, signed on with the company. It was like their last year's annual report. And it was right in there on the cover. And then when I got to the actual physical building, it was everywhere, right? It was on little placards that were posted around the building. It was on um, these, like these little lucite paperweights, you know, that people had on their desks where it was sort of etched in there. 
It was read before every corporate gathering that we had. And typically those were quarterly where they would go over the financials and so forth. But every meeting started with one of the chief executives, typically one of the Markells, standing up and reading that. And so, you know, you couldn't help <laughs> but get the impression, this is important. This means something, right? It was just over and over. And it was the key element of their corporate culture. And so the more I thought about it and the more, you know, that kind of played around in my head, the more I realized that I, what was needed was something like that. Something that kind of spoke of our corporate culture, if you want to call it that. But more importantly, I think it speaks to how we want to do church. You hear about people, well, let's do church. Well, how do you do church? Well, this is how we want to do church here. And one morning, kind of out of the blue, as I was sitting, having my quiet time, I got all of this in about 30 minutes or less. And so uh, it's what I have chosen to call it is the Harmony Vineyard Way. And I'm going to read through it, stick it up here on the screen. And it says this, <clears throat> we are a family who desires God's will for our lives. We choose to live out of our true identity as a beloved son or daughter of God and seek to replace our will with his, knowing that the father always gives good gifts to his children. Our mission is to make disciples. We believe that the best way to do so is by practicing a naturally supernatural lifestyle obeying the words of Jesus and doing the works of Jesus. We actively look for ways to reach out to our neighbors in our community. We understand that our personal growth comes through regular study of God's word and through relationships with other believers. We embrace small groups as our primary means of growing in grace and connecting with each other. We are committed to ethnic diversity we believe all churches, and specifically our church family, should consist of people from every nation, tribe, and people. God's picture of the church in the book of Revelation. Together as a family, we will laugh, cry, struggle, succeed, disagree, and reconcile. And in all things, give glory to God who unites us in our faith. Now, as you can see, I've had it made into a poster. And those are going to hang around here to serve as a reminder to us. But what I want to do today is to actually go through this and sort of explain what all of these things mean, at least to me, right? And so right at the top is uh, a verse from Psalm 25, and it's Psalm 25:12, and you probably can't see it, so I have got it up here. And it says, Who are they that fear the Lord? He will teach them the way that they should choose. Now, Psalm 25 is one of several psalms that are included in this category called wisdom poetry. And we have wisdom literature, which is really what Proverbs are. Job is part of that, the book of Ecclesiastes. And psalms, too. But so this psalm in particular, and Psalm 1 is another one, are considered truly wisdom poetry, right? And so it's really a psalm that says, or, or, or wisdom poetry, I guess, in general, says, you know, if you're wise, these are the things that you're going to do. You know, this is the path that you're going to walk if you're going to live a life of wisdom. And what I think this does, and the reason that I wanted it on there, was that um, it, it points to the, the way the New Testament eventually talks about this idea of walk and uses walk as a metaphor for the Christian life. And as well, this the usage of the way, which is what Christianity was called very early on in its inception. It was known as the way. And so I chose this for a couple of reasons. I think first of all, <coughs> it underscores our belief that God is the author of all things. And that this particular way was essentially taught. Uh, and I mean, it contains things that have become part of my theology through the years as I've grown and matured in faith. I think it highlights that this idea of a way 
is in fact a w- is, is a way to go or a way to do things. It's indeed a biblical concept. I mean, you find this all through the Old Testament, especially in the Psalms. And for us, as I said, it's going to be the way that we will do church. And I also like the idea that it reminds us uh, that Christianity and following its way or really any way is always a choice, a choice that we make. And we're going to choose this as our way. And so next, as we get into the actual way itself, it's broken down into what I would call five tenets or principles. And those five are identity, mission, growth, diversity, and unity. So let's, I'm going to want to go through those individually now. Give me a little bit of water, John, if you could. So tenant number one says this. We are a family who desires God's will for our lives. We choose to live out of our true identity as a beloved son or daughter of God and seek to replace our will with his, knowing that the father always gives good gifts to his children. Now, later on this year, uh, I'm going to do a series on identity. Actually, I'm going to start that on uh, Easter Sunday. Um, So I'm not going to go into this in a lot of of detail, but there's a couple of things that I do want to point out. First and foremost, part of this identity is that we're a family. And you'll notice, or you may have already noticed, that the whole, this idea of the Harmony Vineyard Way are bookended by two things that speak of family. Unity is the last one, and this one is an identity is the first one. I'd love to say I did that on purpose, but I didn't even realize it until I was looking at it later and sort of saw that that had happened. And to me, it was just further proof that I really didn't author this. I mean, this was kind of given to me. And so <clears throat> what I think that speaks to is that if, if, you're, if you're someone who's looking for a place to pop in, get a little Jesus, and then pop back out, this probably is not the best church for you. <laughs> because we want to do things here as a family. We want to, you know, really encourage that type of relationship with each other you know that that um, that families have and yes you know families are dysfunctional and I understand that <laughs> you know so we're going to have those moments but you we're going to work through them and that's what the last part speaks to so I'll talk about that later the thing that um, the thing about families is, is that honestly it requires more commitment than just popping in and popping out. But it also offers benefits that uh, far outweigh any cost that you may have to put into it. Second, it, it, it highlights the fact that it's God's will that we're after. Now, this seems like it ought to be self-explanatory because if you're not here now because you're interested in God's will for your life, um, then why are you even here? I mean, quite honestly. But for the sake of those who will visit us and will be interested in knowing what we're about as a church, I thought it was important to put that on there. That, you know, God's will is kind of what we're after here. And uh, we want people to know that it's important, and it's important enough for us to write it down and put it on the wall. And so I hope people hold us to that. And then... Third, we want to live <clears throat> as sons or daughters of God. And this really is about understanding who we really are in Jesus. Now, the Sockham students have been talking about this, really, School of Kingdom Ministry, I'm sorry. I always do that. S-O-K-M, School of Kingdom Ministry. Have, have spent a good portion of the fall studying this. But this is going to be the focus of the series that I mentioned that's going to start on Easter. I really want to dig into this and and do about probably four Sundays on this idea of identity and who we are in the kingdom. And so that's the first one, identity. The next one is mission. And it is our mission to make disciples. We believe that the best way to do so is by practicing 
a naturally supernatural lifestyle, obeying the words of Jesus and doing the works of Jesus. We actively look for ways to reach out to our neighbors and our community. Well, first, our mission is to make disciples. That's kind of hard to argue with. It comes right from the Great Commission. Okay, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. So if you believe this, it doesn't really much matter whether you consider yourself an evangelist or not. This is the mission of the church, right? Pure and simple. And it's not just our church, it's all the churches. And so everything that we've, we do needs to be filtered through that command. Go and make disciples, which was given to those that were directly following Jesus way back when. So there's no question about what the mission is. But, as we all know, there's a lot of ways to approach a mission. So we could stand on a street corner with a big sign that says, turn or burn, <laughs> and yell at people to repent of their sins. Now that would be one way to carry out our mission. I can't do that. I'll be very honest with you. I just could not bring myself to do that. And if I can't do it, I'm not going to ask you to do it. I mean, that's not right. So we want to look at another way to do that, right? And so I think that that's what actually leads us sort of into that second sentence about you know, the best way to do this is by practicing a, a supernatural lifestyle, obeying the words of Jesus and doing the works of Jesus. Now, this, this phrase, naturally supernatural, has been part of the vineyard for years. It's truly one of the distinctives. And it stands in contrast, really, to the way ministry is done in so many churches, uh, especially churches that uh, do ministry in, in the power of the Holy Spirit, where there's a lot of yelling, there's a lot of emotion, it's almost like we've got to somehow work up wow, that was timely it's like we have to work up the Holy Spirit like he's, he won't be he won't just come if we ask him, we've got to somehow do a rain dance to make the rain come but Beyond that, naturally supernatural needs to be how we live. It, it's not just, oh, I need to be naturally supernatural right now because I'm in church. No. No. And it goes back to this idea of obeying the words and doing the works. And, and there was a very significant moment in the life of John Wimber uh, where he went, underwent this massive shift in how he did ministry. And... Uh, he, it was 1976, and he had been traveling the countryside for quite a while, teaching pastors and church leaders and other churches how to do ministry, how to grow their church, you know, how to minister in the Holy Spirit, and all these things. And so he's been doing all this traveling on the road almost constantly, very seldom seeing his family, getting a chance to reconnect. He got to a motel room in Detroit, Michigan, and he just broke down. And he started sobbing because he was just worn out. And he picked up a Bible and he started to read it. And he started to read it for himself for maybe the first time in years. Now, he'd read the Bible plenty, but always for someone else. You know, for a sermon or for a class he was teaching or, or whatever. But he wasn't really reading it for himself. 
And so he's reading through the Psalms and he's crying out to God for this dramatic change, you know, just to come because, I mean, I can't do this anymore. And he finally fell asleep. But then suddenly he says he was awakened by a voice. Now, he doesn't know if it was audible, but it woke him up. Now, it's important to understand that up to this point, John believed that ministry was something that you did for God. But this voice that roused him out of his sleep said the following, John, I've seen your ministry, and now I want to show you mine. And he says that the voice did not hold any condemnation. It was not mocking him in any way. It was just a statement of fact. And it was at that point that John realized that he really didn't have a ministry. Just like I don't have a ministry and you don't have a ministry. There's only one ministry, and it's Jesus' ministry. And our job is to look at what Jesus is doing and put our hand to that. And see, ultimately, it wasn't John Wimber who taught this, but John, the writer of the gospel. For he says in 519, And Jesus said to them, Very truly, I tell you, the Son can do nothing on his own, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. And so the last part of that is, is, is really uh, of this, our statement, is a commitment to be intentional about doing it this way. And so what it means is we don't just attempt to make disciples when we stumble across them. Like, oh, oh, oh okay. You know, and then, all, then, then you turn on the naturally supernatural, right? It's about going into the shopping malls and the grocery stores, in airports, in anywhere that we might find ourselves, and stopping for just that moment to ask, God, what are you doing here? And then just see what, what he tells you, shows you. You know, he may highlight this one person. You have no idea, but you just know, okay, God, I'll, I'll go ask. You know, is there, and so you, you then you have to step out in boldness to do that, but that's what it means to look for what God is doing and then just participate. And I mean, I think <clears throat> what we're doing with, with Joseph in Burkina Faso is a great example of that. You know, we saw, we, we connected with Joseph. We got this, you know, we saw what he was doing and the effect that he was having in this, you know, largely Muslim country and how powerfully he was working, and we have now you know, kind of joined with him. And we're working on creating a partnership where we can continue to help him do what we already saw God doing through him. And so tenant number two is just doing Jesus' mission Jesus' way. That's what our mission is, make disciples, but to do it the way Jesus would do it. Number three is growth. Now, let's read it first. We understand that our personal growth comes through regular study of God's word and through relationships with other believers. We embrace small groups as our primary means of growing in grace and connecting with each other. Now, let me ask you a question. Are we supposed to study the word of God? Well, I'm happy to hear you answer, and it turns out that you're right. <laughs> but what if you're not? What if you weren't right? What if you had all said no, and we all left here thinking that that was the, the, the answer? See, that's why we're supposed to study God's word. We don't take people's words for things. We need to go back to God's word and figure out, okay, well, what does God say about this? Now, I need your help with something. Who, who has Bibles here or can, has access to one? All right, don't, okay. 
let's see. I need someone. Raise your hands up high enough that I can see and keep them up for a minute. All right, Elaine, 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17. Just find it and hold on. Rich, Psalm 119, verse 11. Joshua 1, 8. Who else have I got? Renee, first, or 2 Timothy 2, 15. 2 Timothy 2, 15. Jeannie, Proverbs 3, 1 and 2. Britt, Psalm 119, verse 105. 119, 105. Mark, Deuteronomy 11, 18 through 23. You want to you wanna play? <laughs> cool. All right, Mike, Acts 17, 11. What else have I got? Jim, Romans 12, 2. I need one more. John, Hebrews 4, 12. All right. Everybody got your spot? All right, so I'm just going to call out the scripture, and when I call it out, whoever has that, read that scripture. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. Psalm 119.11. I have taken your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Joshua 1.8. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. 2 Timothy 2.15. Proverbs 3, 1 and 2. Psalm 119, verse 105. Deuteronomy 11, 18 through 23. Acts 17, 11. Romans 12, 2. Hebrews 4.12. Does God say we are supposed to study his word? <laughs> All right. And of those that you had your hand up but didn't call on you, I've got a second chance. Are we supposed to gather in small groups? Yes. <laughs> I didn't think anyone would actually say yes that time. <laughs> However, you are right again, but we're not going to take your word for it. So, once again, hands up. If you haven't shared yet, I want to make sure those people get a chance to. All right. Um, Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. Who else? Uh, Rich, 
1 Thessalonians 5.11, Shelley, Matthew 18.20, Preston, Proverbs 27.17. That worked out interesting. Uh, who else? Bobby, Acts 2.42. Who? Oh, Rit, I'm sorry. I know you're pointing to it. The pole is actually right in the way of your hand. <laughs> sorry about that. Um, Ephesians 4, 15 and 16. Ephesians 4, 15 and 16. All right, I need a few more. So if you've played before, you can play again. Uh, <laughs> Elaine, let's see, what did I just? Acts 2, 46. Rich, 2, 42. Steve, 20, Acts 20, 20. And one more, Elias, Psalm 133, verse 1. All right, are we pretty much ready? All right, Hebrews 10, 24 through 25. First Thessalonians five eleven. Matthew eighteen twenty. Proverbs twenty seven seventeen. Acts two forty two two forty two. Ephesians 4, 6, 4, 15, and 16. Acts 2, 46. Acts 5.42. Oh, did I miss one? And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. Acts 20.20. 20. And Psalm 133, verse 1. So, does God's word say we are to get together and meet in small groups? And, and one other thing, I mean, I think you could look at the fact that even though Jesus had this very, very large following, is it really not fair to say that he was the very first Christian small group leader? <laughs> I mean, he had this special group of 12 that kind of followed him around, and that's about the size we like to have, you know, small groups at because it allows us to develop some intimacy with each other and begin to get to know one another and everyone gets to participate. Um, and so, you know, that little small group actually had quite a, a lasting impact on the world. Um, and so all of that really just to say that tenant number three is about growth. It's about growth in his word and it's about growth in his way. All right. Tenant number four. <coughs> We are committed to ethnic diversity. We believe all churches, and specifically our church family, should consist of people from every nation, tribe, and people. God's picture of the church in the book of Revelation. All right. <laughs> I'm going to share a quote that came from the survey. Now, I have no idea who said this, and I'm not, I'm not, gonna, I'm not in any way condemning them. I'm just using it as an example, all right? <coughs> this, was a, this was an actual comment. It seems like now the focus is so heavily on getting Hispanic and other ethnic members that I and many others that I have talked to feel you don't, meaning me, feel you don't really want your current congregation. We're too old, too white, too conservative, and that you wish we were blacker, younger, more multicultural, 
different from what we are. I feel you are disappointed with us. Okay. Let me say for the record, to all of you old white conservatives, <laughs> of which I am one, I love you. I really do. And I love you exactly as you are. And I'm in no way disappointed with you. See, becoming ethnically diverse is not a matter of replacement. It's a matter of addition. And quite honestly, and I mean, again, I mean no disrespect, but a statement like this is exactly the problem because what it's saying is you either want this or you want this. That's wrong. It's both together. It's not either or, it's and. Now, I would like to also make another comment as regards to this, this heavy focus on getting Hispanic and other ethnic members. And I know, understand that that has to do with some music that we played. And for four Sundays this past August, while our worship team took a sabbatical, every Sunday for those four Sundays, we played one song in Spanish and one song that was a little bit more of a black gospel song than the normal uh, contemporary Christian music that we tend to play. Now, if you figure that we average four songs a Sunday, every Sunday for 52 weeks, that means that in 2014, just under 4% of our songs were aimed at a different ethnicity. Now, I will admit to you, this was a bit of an experiment on my part. And I was curious as to what the response would be. And um, if this response is truly indicative of many that were talked to, then I have uh, some work to do. So for now, um, let me at least explain why I believe Tenant 4 is important. First of all, an ethnically diverse church is biblical. I can find no support in scripture for a church to be segregated by ethnicity or skin color. Actually, it's quite the opposite. And I am going to do another sermon series, probably around May or June, in which I'm gonna focus on proving that God's plan all along has been for diversity amidst unity, starting with the Trinity. Secondly, an ethnically diverse church is a natural response to the changing face of America. Now, you may or may not want to, uh, you know, admit this, believe this, but statistics don't lie. The U.S. has the second largest black population of any country in the world, only exceeded by Nigeria. America has the fourth largest Spanish population in the world. The U.S. Census Bureau predicts that by uh, 2100, 2100, White Americans will be 53% of the population down from the current level of 72. The percentage of Asian and Pacific Island peoples will more than triple during that time. By that time as well, Hispanics will account for just under one-fourth of the people living in the U.S. Any church that ignores these numbers runs the risk of becoming irrelevant. Third, the church is the one societal instrument that is best equipped to deal with racial reconciliation and bring healing to communities. Fourth, by willingly confronting issues of racial inequality and being very intentional about opening its doors to all ethnicities, the church eliminates any perception that it is giving tacit approval to racial segregation thereby avoiding a criticism that could be legitimately aimed at many homogenous churches. See, we think we're making all this progress on race. We thought that back in the 90s that we'd really come, you know, so far from the turbulent 60s when there was all this racial di discord and rioting and so forth. And then a little thing happened called the O.J. Simpson trial. <coughs> And blacks were jubilant and whites were dismayed. 
And then a few more years go by, and we get into the 2000s. And once again, we think, well, we've really made some progress. And then George Zimmerman happens. And whites are jubilant, and blacks are dismayed. And then only a few months ago, Michael Brown happens. And once again, we're back in the midst of all of this. See, we really aren't making that much progress at all. Now, yes, blacks have certainly made a lot of inroads in terms of uh, social status, in terms of equality in the workforce, and so on and so forth. But in terms of racial reconciliation, I would argue not so much. And if the church doesn't do this, who is going to do it? The government? Please. Al Sharpton? I don't think so. It's going to have to be the church. And it should be the church. Amen. And so for those reasons, tenant number four is, says that our way is going to be a way of diversity. And then number five. Together as a family, we will laugh, cry, struggle, succeed, disagree, and reconcile, and in all things give glory to God who unites us in our faith. See, families are pretty complicated things. I don't know that anyone here would necessarily disagree with me on that. But the thing is, when you have these kinds of trials and tribulations in your life and they involve family, you don't just leave. You work through it. And that's what the Bible teaches. And that's the attitude that we have to have when we approach this thing called church. Now, again, I'll allude to a series that I'm going to start on February the 1st. And it's going to focus on what it means to be a church member. But to me, this last one is what really sort of says it all about family. It means that we're going to have good times. We're going to have not so good times. We're going to come to a home group and be in a really cruddy mood. Or we may come and we may be just as joyful as we can be. You may have a huge issue with something I say on a Sunday morning. And all of those things are okay. Just don't leave without, let's discuss it. Let's talk about it. Maybe you misunderstood me. Maybe I didn't say something. Maybe it was my fault. Maybe sometimes if you've ever spoken publicly, stuff gets out of your mouth that you would really like to grab and pull back. Really? <laughs> Perhaps we could have some coaching lessons then. Because, you know, I'll own that. I'm sure I, from time to time I'll say something that kind of gets garbled up or turned around or whatever. Um, call me on it. That's okay. You know, we, I, I need that kind of accountability. We all do. We all do. And then uh, the last thing, and I'll sort of close with this, is that the last thing is, is this verse from Colossians 3.14, which says, Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. That's essentially the, the church's verse, so to speak. And, and it says exactly what Paul is saying in, um, in Corinthians 13, that if you don't have love, the rest of it is pointless. You know, it's just a, a book of rules that you're going to follow. If you have love, if you put love first, it makes all of this so very easy. I didn't really write any sort of a conclusion for this. Um, this is just, this is how I feel. This is how I, I, this is the kind of church that if I didn't pastor it, I would want to belong to. Pure and simple. Um, and so hopefully we can move forward, um, you know, and, and have these things to where they are reminders to us where we can look at them and, and reread them, where visitors that come in will look at them and read them and understand this is the kind of church that this is.
I'm, we're real clear about it. All right. I'm just going to stop there because it's getting late. But and I want to do one more thing before we um, we head across the hall. <clears throat> My uh, friend and sister Donna is heading out on Tuesday. It's going to be gone for about the next 15 days um, to Brazil. And um, she's not going there on vacation. <laughs> she's going there teaching a class, uh, or I don't know, co-teaching or whatever. Uh, it's one of the, uh, if you're not familiar with the way Randolph-Macon does things, in January they have, they call them, is it the short term? The what? J-term for January, and it's, uh, it's like a month long, and you can get a full semester's worth of credit just in this one month, and a lot of times it involves studying abroad and so forth. And so she's going to be taking a class of 13 uh, with some others to Brazil, and uh, I just, I don't want to bring her up necessarily, but I would like for all of us to pray for her now, um, you know, that she has uh, a safe trip and uh, no issues, uh, as I know she's concerned with a couple. Um, so uh, let's just pray. If you're nearby, stretch your hand out to her, put your hand on her, whatever. Um, so Father, I just want to bless my sister. I pray for a, a, a very successful trip. I pray for no issues with airlines, with baggage, with any of those problems that accompany traveling. I pray that there are no issues with hotels or any place that they have made arrangements to stay, that all connections are, are, are solid and in place. I pray that there are no issues with health for any of, the, uh, of those that are going. I just thank you for, uh, for her and for her willingness to do this and to persevere through some very difficult challenges just in getting the trip put together. So bless this as a time of uh, uh, truly of learning. Let there be uh, a lot of enjoyment along with it. We pray as well for Rich as he uh, is on his own for 15 days. Father, please keep him out of trouble. Bless him and protect him as well. We just give you praise and thanks, and we ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand. We'll do a, a, a benediction, and then if you'd like to go, remember, across the hall, um, have a little, uh, little party for Shelly. Oh, that's right. Darn it. Come on up. I had asked her a while ago if she had anything she wanted to say, and initially she said no, but she came to me this morning and said yes, she did. So... Um, how long is it? Should I have him sit back down? <laughs> All right. Go for it. So I said I didn't want to share anything because I didn't know if I could make it through. But I felt like last night that God said um, he wanted me to share this with you. Um, it's a word God gave me at, um, on January 1st for this year for me. And I felt like last night he said it's not just for me. It's for all of you individually and us as a body. And it was interesting he, that um, it, it comes from what you were, it's after what you were sharing today, just as, as a body. Um, when you were talking about mission, you said we, sometimes we have to step out and be bold. And that's what God's saying to me, but he, he has a mission for all of us day to day as we go about our lives. And what he said was, be bold, be brave, step out and step up. I'm calling you to higher things. It will take greater boldness and greater courage, but you will have greater strength, my strength. You will not do it out of your strength, but out of mine. Your weakness will be transformed, transformed by my spirit. Step out. Do not shrink back. Step out in the power of my spirit. Resolve to fly. Soar on the winds of my spirit. Jump out of the nest. Jump off the cliff. And this next statement is a word that from the Lord that Jeff shared with me a month or so ago, and God brought it up again. Flying will feel like you are falling. To step out will feel like you are falling, like you are failing sometimes, like there is no recovery, but that is what I'm calling you to do. 
to jump, to jump off the cliff and spread your wings. I will catch you. The currents of my spirit will sweep you up and carry you, and you will soar. Soar as you never have before. New risks will take you to new places, new places in my spirit, new places in who I have created you to be from the beginning of time. This is your destiny. This is what I have created you for. This is what I have created you to be. Rest in it. Recline in it. Soar. Catch the currents of my spirit and jump in. Spread your wings wide, not timidly, but boldly, into the unknown. Places in the spirit you have not been before are awaiting you. I believe he says that to us individually and as a body. Keep stepping out. Keep leaning into me. Soaring engulfed by my spirit. No holding back. No shrinking back. No thinking. Just jump. Jump boldly into it. Into me. An adventure awaits you. An adventure into new realms of my spirit. Come soar with me. Enjoy the ride. I can't wait. And I can't wait to hear what God has for you guys. And thank you. Um, I'm not going to share much because I probably won't make it through much. But I just wanted to say how grateful I am. I mean, God's just shown me so much how grateful I am for you guys and for that he's allowed me to be a part of you. And I'm still a part of you, even though I'm not going to be here for a little while. Um, thank you for just how you guys have allowed this to be a safe place for me to grow in the spirit and grow in my walk with the Lord and so and encourage me in that and um, just encourage me in this next step that God has for me and supported me in, in prayer and financially in so many ways. So thank you, thank you, thank you. All right, now let's... I think one reason this was so hard for me is that Shelly is probably member one or one A of the church. I mean, she came, the very, very first thing we had was a water giveaway at the uh, Strawberry Fair. And the only thing we had done was advertised on the radio. And she came to the booth looking for information. And then she, along with Elaine and some others, came to the very first organizational meeting that we had. And so she is truly one of the originals of the church. And so makes it hard. <clears throat> Let's pray. Father, I just ask now that you would bless all of these that are gathered here. We give you thanks and praise for this time that we've had. Allow us to fully understand what you have called us all to do. And help us to know day to day and to see what you may be doing, that we might be able to put our hands to yours and do our part to assist in your mission of making disciples of all the world. Bless each person, each family, and as they are gathered here, as they go out into the week ahead. Let them know they are loved and bring them back to us safely a week from now. We give you praise and thanks and ask these things now in Jesus' name. Amen.